Handle on the News. Handle on the News! Will you please do me a favor? Will you please go over to Handle, make a fist, and plunge it through his forehead? And now, here's Bill Handle. KFI handle here. Oh, yeah. Sounding a little stronger. Went to uh, the doctor yesterday at Kaiser. Phenomenal. I asked him where he went to medical school. Usually I go, I get from answers like Guadalajara or Granada. But no. No, he went to a, a real American medical school. Actually, I'm just kidding you. He actually did. And I don't, although I have to tell you, when I, uh, when I did have my uh, heart surgery, uh, there was a, a Chinese doctor, Chinese-American doctor, who is one of the most well-respected uh, doctors in Southern California. I mean, the guy is uh, a heart surgeon who really, really knows his stuff. Spoke with a Chinese accent, and I did ask him where in Mexico he went to medical school. <laughs> where did he really go to school? Do oh, I remember? He, yeah, he looked at me, and he said something like Stanford and residency at uh, Hopkins. I mean, just insane credentials. And as I ended uh, the conversation, he said, uh, do, you, uh, do you have any more questions? I go, no, no, this is tremendous. Matter of fact, I'm so impressed. I'm going to go out and have Chinese food for lunch. And nothing. Wait, was this after he had operated on you? No. You really like to live dangerously, yeah, I, I don't did. you? This was a, I realized this was not a good move. You said that to a guy who was going to crack open your chest that and is, that is tinker around in there. That is correct. Okay. Not a good move. But at least I'm consistent. Yeah, that is true. All right. Uh, good morning to one and all. And uh, just tingling with anticipation that I'm going to be able to do this show without my voice cracking today. Hopefully. Well, mine cracked for you earlier. Well, you're allowed to have one or two of those. But, oh, okay. Yeah. But you're feeling better. Yeah, well, I never felt bad. Oh. It was just straight laryngitis. That's the part that's so frustrating is uh, just feel fine. Anyway, there's Amy, uh, who's morning. in, good morning, who's in this week. And uh, there is uh, the lovely uh, one and only Wayne Resnick. Thank you. I'm glad that you're nodule free. I am nodule free. No, That's not, the best news and that's scary free. stuff. No polyps, somebody uses no nodules. Well, no polyps in your throat. They didn't look then the other place. <laughs> didn't check yeah. everywhere. So we don't know. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when the guy did a scope down my uh, throat, you know, they did a scope, I said, uh, hey, you def- you're going to go with this thing down my throat, right? <laughs> and he looked down there and he said, man, how many Costco ham and cheese baguettes yeah. do you eat? Uh, uh, and then uh, there's no, Alex. sausages. Isn't it sausage? No, it's, salami. Uh, sometimes salami. Salami I get at uh, Costco, but it's usually ham and cheese. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, cheese from Costco, ham from Ralph's. Uh, Boar's Head, and uh, certainly the baguettes from uh, Costco. There's uh, my life. There you go. There's my life. What I buy at Costco. Uh, there is, although even if I didn't say it, you could know about it if you had the uh, if you had the information, which is easily to get. All right, Alex. Good morning. And all right, John. Good morning to you. All right, big stories uh, that we're covering today. Giuliani. Oh God, and Trump. I love this. Uh, on the Golden State Killer, we have uh, some news, and uh, that's at 7.30. We're going to talk to ABC's Brad Garrett 
And uh, just more bad food. Romaine lettuce. Yeah, just stay away from Caesar salads. That's the bottom line. The anchovies may kill you, but they won't kill the E. coli. Okay, you guys ready to do it? Lead story. It's a crazy Stormy Daniels. All right, uh, Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, who has been brought on to uh, defend Donald Trump as part of his uh, defense team, uh, said on Fox uh, that, uh, yeah, the president reimbursed Michael Cohen. Totally contradicted what the president said, particularly on Air Force One. And when he was asked, but and he talked about how this isn't a violation of campaign finance law because it was reimbursed and it was, you're allowed to buy your own campaign. You can write as big a checks as you want to your own campaign. The issue is Michael Cohen said he did it out of private money, uh, that he paid for it and it wasn't reported. And in any case, uh, it's uh, he, the president, just said, yeah, I, I reimbursed him. Although he's saying, look, they're they're definitely trying to thread this needle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they need it to not be campaign money. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. And I don't think that's not the big deal. I think the big deal is that the president, once again, shows he's just a liar. Well, except isn't he saying he repaid it as part of normal uh, retainer payments? Uh, but, but but if, if but I he, have you on retainer and I have to give you a certain amount of money every month, I can't then say those payments are reimbursing you for an extra expenditure that you made, right? That, In other words, the retainer payment is the retainer payment that I owe you. And the problem is he said, I he had no idea. Well, then he said, I don't know, but which, is that, imp- which he can get the cover. He says, look, every month I write a certain check to Michael Cohen for his retainer fee. Right. And I guess he took he took some of that money back to reimburse. Well, but wouldn't then that means he still went out of pocket, technically, right, Michael if Michael yes. Cohen's owed a retainer I, fee, yeah, I think so. But then he still the, went out of the, pocket the issue for Stormy is, Daniels. Trump did Trump know, and when did he know it? We go back to Watergate days, and the fact that he contradicted himself on Air Force One. Well, that's the he big... said he had no idea, had absolutely that it, it's Stormy Daniels. I never had sex. I have no idea. I don't know anything about an NDA. Nothing. And Michael Cohen produces this document. Or uh, the uh, Stormy Daniels attorney produces the document that has the president's name on it, which wasn't signed. Right. All right. But to argue that he didn't know is ludicrous. But it doesn't matter because everybody knows Donald Trump's a liar and it's not going to hurt him because he lies every single day. So they made the right choice. Make the controversy about something that everybody already understands instead of the question of campaign finance crimes. Just get it out of the way and just say, yep, basically admit that he lied. And, and, well, of course not. Giuliani when asked, but didn't he lie? That's not the issue. Right. I And then the White House, I think, uh, no, the White House said it's not the issue. The press, which it wasn't Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you bet she wasn't going to do it that day. She's going to go, you do it. And uh, then Giuliani... Uh, said that go to Michael Cohen if you have any questions. Uh, and uh, here's the shocker. I am surprised that when asked about the apparent contradiction, uh, the White House didn't say, that's not the issue. The issue here is how Barack Obama destroyed the United States. <laughs> that's what you have to ask. Maybe they're moving on a little. Uh, no. Doubtful. Oh, no. All right. We'll take a break, come back, and do plenty more handle on the news. Also, your chance to win $1,000 when we come back. All right.
Handle here. Welcome back. And before we get into more Handle on the news, uh, here's your chance to win some money. You're shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword bank to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's bank to 200-200. They call the winner and you have to answer or you can't win. Karen in La Habra answered and won $1,000. Your next chance to win next hour. All right, we're back and let's do it. Uh, Amy King in for Jennifer Jones-Lee until Monday. Wayne Resnick and me. And a lawyer is trying to keep Joseph D'Angelo's DNA to himself. Can we have some DNA music, please? Problem was that I, I have to push the on button. I'm sorry. I'm only I'm the only one allowed to do that, John. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll try. I'll try again. Fair enough. Yeah, he's going to lose. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, this might delay the collection of it. A few days, yeah. maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, the courts but... have ruled over and over again uh, that the right uh, to uh, not incriminate yourself is your mouth. They can ask for handwriting. They can ask for DNA. They can ask for uh, blood samples. They can ask for anything they want as long as you don't open your mouth. That you can say, I'm not talking. I want a lawyer. Apparently, they want to photograph his genitals. They can do that. Yep. It's all going to happen. And there's an app out there that uh, we can share in that. Did you know that? A genitals app? Yeah. No, a uh, felon genitals app. No? There is not. You may have just hit upon a million-dollar idea. (laughs) I know. I'm like, hey, who's behind that one? Okay, maybe not. Well, the romaine doesn't have tomaine. Wow. But you still can't eat it. Wow. It's not that easy. Green. Yeah, that E. coli outbreak has uh, killed one, a person here in California, although the CDC has not identified yeah, who it one, is. There's a death now, and the number of people who have it are spreading like crazy. It's up to 121 now. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. And they've already said, I mean, a couple of weeks ago they were already saying, hey, you better dump all your yeah, romaine. Well, it doesn't even matter because it's so past its uh, shelf life now uh, that the romaine would all be wilted anyway, so they're not even concerned. They're not even calling for a recall because it's, it's done. But uh, the people who have eaten it, man, that's a problem. And when they say don't eat romaine from Yuma, uh, where is that written that it comes from Yuma? Well, it doesn't because the product labels a lot of times don't identify of the growing not. region. Although, yeah, I mean, like sometimes you get grapes and it says grapes from Mexico or grapes from California. Or but it's still but not enough information, right? Because yeah. this is very – they're not saying – uh, the problem area was the entire state of Arizona. Right, just that Yuma area. But it's a lot like uh, the Made in China. That's a large that, geographic area. So they have to stamp on each sleeve, uh, grown in Yuma. Okay. Uh, authorities say they have foiled an alleged ISIS-inspired attack in Texas. Go kick ISIS ass! Take them down! Yeah. From the Teenager. Inside. 17-year-old Mateen Azizi Yarand of Plano, Texas, was arrested on charges he was plotting to shoot up a mall in Frisco, Texas. He'd spent about $1,400 on purchasing weapons and body armor. He was planning, apparently, according to officials, to carry out the attack sometime in May and also planned to disseminate a message to America explaining the motives behind the attack. This is one of those where the defense normally is, oh, he wasn't really doing it. He was fantasizing. This happens all the time because he hasn't moved that far forward in his planning stage. 
he is so gone on this one. Oh, yeah. And then was even telling, like, oh, okay, I was planning out how I was going to, oh, yes. what I was going to do when police right. responded. Too specific uh, yeah, for him to make any kind of defense. Yeah. The men arrested at that Starbucks in Philly have settled with the city. Got Italian drink. One dollar each, because what? because they one dollar each, one dollar well, each as a symbolic thing. But what they also got out of the city was an agreement right. to set up a program for young entrepreneurs, about two hundred thousand right. dollar program. But they're not they're, unless they're going to run it. They're not getting any money, but from also, from the, the city. city. Now keep in Starbucks mind, Starbucks is another. That's question. a different story. Now their argument is the cops at the city uh, shouldn't have done that. A manager asked them to leave. And the cops came up very calmly. They effectively had said, we're not paying. We just want to sit here. I think that was a legitimate arrest. And I have said that. Uh, if you want, if I have a Starbucks and you walk in and you and I say, excuse me, you have to buy something because you've been there for a while. I'm just waiting for someone. But you still have to buy something. Nope. Not going to do it and I'm not leaving. All right. I call the cops. Uh, although every time I said I'm waiting for someone, they left it alone. Mm-hmm. They waited. So there's an issue there. But uh, I think uh, that the city is not that culpable. Star- it, it's Starbucks, private property, right? A very different story. What? Is it private property? Of course. So that's why they can ask you to leave. If it was a public square, they wouldn't be able to do that, right? Well, you, Correct. Can, you can wait for friends at a public square. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, guess who might win a Nobel Peace Prize? Oh, please. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> that was the most dismissive reaction to a thing I've well, ever heard in my life. Only because uh, the nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of Donald Trump is right now. And this is way premature because if the deal yes. isn't cut, then uh, there, nothing happens. And this is predicated on the attempts he has made to deal with Kim Jong-un. And that's ridiculous, yeah. don't you think? That, well, not only is that ridiculous, the only thing more ridiculous is Obama's Nobel Prize for, for being elected. Yeah. Because he happens to be the first African-American president and was elected, that deserves a Nobel Prize. But the Nobel Prize is just insane. It really is. I mean, look at the people who have gotten a Nobel Prize. Yeah, Yasser Arafat, right? Come on, a terrorist till the day he died. Uh, did he show up in his camouflage, by the way? At the uh, Nobel Peace Prize ceremony. I don't remember. You know, with the ammunition belt going across his shoulder. (laughs) How appropriate, given. Great photo op, right? (laughs) Well, how appropriate, given uh, who founded that prize, that he would bring some kind of weaponry. It's a good point. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite. All right. uh, I did not know that. Absolutely. Wow. There you go. A little bit of of trivia. I learned something today. Yep. Okay. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll be back and uh, we'll do more. Oh, we're back. Sorry, I know uh, Wayne has an announcement to make, but I have to first say we're back. Handle of the morning crew. Please, Wayne. Uh, This is about an event that's coming up later this year where you can meet everybody here at KFI. Uh, Donate now to help the American Red Cross Initiative to Get Prepared California. You and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew. It's an exclusive evening at this OUE Sky Space in L.A. Beautiful facility on top of the U.S. Bank Tower. You'll get cocktails and appetizers, and you'll have a beautiful view of the city from almost 1,000 feet up. Meet the team, live Q&A session, 
photo opportunities. Handel said he's going to run a kissing booth and unlimited sky slide rides after the event, which is that crazy outdoor plexiglass thing where you slide down an entire floor very quickly. But which one will be more popular, the kissing booth or the sky slide? I think it'll be kissing. The kissing just, booth is during the sky slide yeah. ride. You will you will slide down while handles gently have kisses you on your lips. Tremendous <laughs> oh. desire to make a cold sore joke, but I'm not going. To. Oh, <laughs> and yet you, you did. In a way. Yet I did. Uh, you got to be 21 years or old to attend this thing. There's limited tickets. You got to get them before they're gone. For more details, log on to kfiam640.com. Search the word mixer. All right, uh, back we, we go. Uh, handle on the news. Amy King in for Jennifer uh, this entire week. Wayne Resnick and me. President is suggesting that three Americans being held in North Korea might be released soon. Release me! Uh, and this is not unusual because uh, you have uh, the uh, dictator of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, has already made all kinds of gestures in anticipation of uh, this summit, of this meeting. So, uh, you know, when you think about it, I really don't even know what the, what the United States has offered uh, other than just the meeting. I don't think there's been anything brought to the table. Kim Jong-un, no testing, uh, stopping, uh, shutting down, no testing ballistic missiles, shutting down of uh, the, um, uh, shutting down of the testing facilities. Uh, also, I, I don't know if he stopped his uh, program to develop nuclear weapons. We don't know that. But uh, as opening up negotiations, uh, so North Koreans and South Koreans who are separated can now start uh, dealing with each other. There's a lot he has brought to the table, and you're going to see the uh, you're you're going to see. I think the release of uh, these three people that were arrested. Is it possible that they're having a lot of? secret back channel negotiations yeah, now absolutely and when they meet by the time they actually meet oh, basically they already have a deal yeah. and a treaty no and question. it's and the meeting is not to discuss it's the it's like we're going to get together yeah. and formally announce all this progress that we've made and just sign it i think that's exactly what the case is going to be interesting because it think, was initially supposed to just be like a first oh, no, contact no no one thing you have to give uh the president is he's a deal maker let's get as much of this deal as possible so that is going to happen. Uh, you're speaking of releases. There's been another release from Guantanamo. Oh, yeah. One of the guys uh, that was part of that attack on the oil tanker off the coast of Yemen in 2002. He's been at Guantanamo for some time, but his deal was that he could serve most of his sentence in Saudi Arabia. And he is finally over there. So now 40 detainees remain how much do you think that's costing the united states how many hundreds of millions of dollars a year does it cost to keep gitmo open it's a sizable expense but it's also it's really an extremely valuable resource even though right now there's only 40 people there what if something happens again in the world and we need a place to right. house a bunch of really dangerous and we, people and we, and we can't bring them in the united states right so uh, i mean i would i i could see maybe clearing everybody out eventually that's in there now yeah. I would never give up that facility if I was running this country. Why can't you bring them into the U.S.? Because then they're entitled to uh, a uh, they're entitled to open court, uh, the uh, to be tried, and all kinds of constitutional rights kick in where they don't have that. They're foreign combatants sitting in a foreign place, even though it's an American army base. Different rules apply. So 
Um, they're not coming in. Not to mention the outcry in every community. Remember when they, with the Obama administration yeah, they was talking about bringing some of them over here? Yeah. And every jurisdiction said, not here. We don't not. want terrorists, even in our prisons. Right. Yeah. Uh, or at least foreign-born terrorists. Also, uh, where do they go when they're released? Well, that's because why you nobody have to wants get them, them back. I mean, in this case, Saudi, Saudi Arabia was willing to, to take, take them. them. But yeah. the other ones, where do they go? That's the problem. All right. Hey, uh, an appeals court just ruled that some Muslim men who were put on the no-fly list, they can sue the actual individual agents who put them on the list. And not they can't sue them in their official capacity, but they can sue them just as ordinary people. Right. Now, so that means the government can't be sued because of sovereign immunity, so you just go after an individual agent. This has to do with these Muslims that were put on no-fly lists and uh, they're trying to get off. And the reason they're saying is there's no other reason other than we're Muslim. Right. We, and we, they but, wanted they wanted them to be informants. And they said, we can't be informants because our religion doesn't allow us to so be we'll informants. Sh- we'll show you. And then they're saying it was retaliation because they wouldn't snitch that they and, put them on the no-fly list. And they're, they're Muslim. Yeah. But I have a question about this. How they wouldn't as individual citizens have been able to put them on a no-fly list, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That's why it had to go all the way to a federal appeals court to sort out. Because uh, sovereign immunity is what the government allows you to sue the government. It's fast. The whole sovereign immunity is, is interesting. It goes all the way back to common law. And that is the king, the government... Uh, cannot be sued. The king cannot be sued unless the king allows you to be sued uh, to sue him. And, and why course, would the king allow you to sue him? Uh, that's correct. So that has evolved okay. into uh, it went to proprietary actions. Uh, for example, the government not acting in a governmental uh, form. For example, parking lots. Uh, if a parking lot at the federal building is run by the government, that's the same as any private lot. You know, that says so the law says, of course, you can sue the government if it's badly run because they're effectively doing a private endeavor. Uh, However, putting people in jail, uh, acting within only the governmental, uh, the governmental parameters, that is a different story. So this one, there's governmental immunity to where uh, the agents can't be sued acting in their capacity as agents, which means the government. Mm-hmm. Actually, you're arguing the government's going to be sued, just as individuals. So, what are you going to do? Go which after means, them. which means the government doesn't have to defend them. That's correct. All right. Oh, take a break. That's no good for the agents. Uh, no, no. All right, we'll take a break. All right, KFI on a uh, Thursday morning, May third. Uh, big stories we're covering. Uh, Giuliani yesterday. Uh, yeah. President paid for that Stormy Daniels NDA. Great. And uh, Golden State Killer. More news coming up about the Golden State Killer and other serial uh, and other serial killers. Brad Garrett is joining us at 730. All right, let's finish it. Handle on the news uh, with uh, not Jennifer Jones Lee. Amy King is filling in. Uh, Wayne Resnick, in for Wayne Resnick, and me. And after a court battle, the Las, Ve- uh, Las Vegas, oh, God. The Las Vegas police released the body camera footage from the Vegas shooting. Specifically of the officers going yes, up to breach the uh, hotel. It doesn't suite. add anything. No, it doesn't. All it, it is is interesting. But they didn't want it released. They fought to not release it. Which I don't it. understand. It just shows the cops screaming, breach, breach. They punk, uh, they uh, 
punch through the door. I mean, it's just normal cop stuff. And why did it take so long? Because they were fighting it in court. Yeah, crazy. Know, but why? Makes, they don't, no one knows. Or That's at least the thing. we don't they know. Just, they, they don't. This is, this is one of the issues with all this police body cam stuff is that some police agencies are extremely reluctant Pending. to release anything, what? even if there's nothing controversial about it. And the argument is going to be because we, fin- we haven't finished our investigation yet. Right. And the and investigations, especially this one, months. Years, possibly, yeah, since I mean, they're months. still trying to figure out a motive. People are leaving Las Vegas and not coming back. Leave Las Vegas with your neon flashing and your one-armed bandits crashing. Yeah, and there's a reason for it. Junk fees are now being thrown in. Uh, the resort fees, which hotels do all over the world now, 35 bucks. which, wait a sec. And now it's parking in Las Vegas. Which I, you never had never to pay paid. to park You pay anywhere. a couple of bucks to the, uh, to the bell guy or to the parking attendant. Because you pay a lot when you're in the casinos. So I wonder if they're making less on gambling, so that's why they're doing, or if they're just trying well, to... Well, they increase- are, people are gambling less than they used to, because now Las Vegas has become... Uh, mecca for restaurants uh, and shopping. I mean, in terms of restaurants, there are probably more world-class restaurants within a, a square mile in Las Vegas than any other p- place on the planet is what I'm willing to bet. But it's the resort fees. Well, it's for the use of the swimming pool. You don't have a swimming pool. Even though people don't ever use the swimming <laughs> I know. pool. Well, it's for... It's for the it's for that palm tree that's yeah, in the parking that's basically, court that you yeah. see when you walk in. Yeah, yeah, tourism was down 1% last year. Yeah, they're it, saying it's nothing. Well, except that's 722,000 people. Uh, yeah, but they're saying it's nothing, 1%. All right. Well, an 80-year-old guy was arrested on hate crime charges, and it all started over a parking space. This is on the campus of Santa Monica College, and there's a theater on the campus, and this guy was coming there. And there was a, a black woman who had supposedly parked like either on the line or over the line of her parking space. And he just ripped. And he ripped into her. Now, he ripped into her. He called her all kinds of bad racial slurs and hit her. And he's been arrested for battery on a school yeah. property. But the part of the story that makes it really bad is, according to the story, she was in the process of fixing her parking job when he went nuts on her. He didn't even yeah. give her a chance. What are they going to do with an 80-year-old guy? Frederick Allen Scheinrock yeah, is his name. Yeah, not much. Sherman Oaks man who flashed 11 women near UCLA has received a sentence. Oh, Jail. So yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, so he can still flash over, on yeah, work days over a course. Yeah, over the course of a year, uh, and uh, a few other things that uh, make sense. But here's the downside on this one: he's going to be a registered sex offender for life. That's the toughest one of all because well, that changes the way you live. Well, the that guy means, would he, it, he didn't just flash. No, that. I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. But for people that say 52 weekends in jail is not nearly enough. Even if he were to spend a year in jail, that's done after a year. The registered sex offender is with you till the day you die. And that becomes... It's that's like an a, STD. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. There was uh, a standoff with a SWAT team in La Crescenta. It ended up with the, uh, the suspect dead from suicide, and he has a connection to a Hollywood star. No one 
Joshua Corbett is his name. Cops went to serve a warrant, and instead it turned into a standoff. He barricaded himself in the house, and he was on probation uh, for a thing, stalking and breaking into Sandra Bullock's house. He yeah. broke into her house in West L.A. She was hiding in the closet. Yeah, she had, she made it uh, a safe room, you know, with a safe door mm-hmm. where no one can shoot through or break through. You have one of those? No, you know what? We talked about it originally. And uh, it's they're expensive, and you go, who the hell, who's going after us? So you well, never know. Yeah, so we did. Well, uh, and you have a guard gate. Yeah, it's it's a gated community, and so we ended up. Uh, what we ended up doing is getting one of those security hamsters. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. That's <laughs> that squeak when someone comes in the door. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're done. All right, coming up, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, oh boy, in the Stormy Daniels situation, and Donald Trump. Big news came yesterday, and I'll share that with you. This is KFI AM 640. KFI. Handle here on a uh, Thursday, May the 3rd. Big stories that we're covering this morning that are trending. Uh, romaine lettuce, first death uh, that is linked to the uh, romaine lettuce, the E. coli outbreak. Uh, that's horrible. And at 7.30, you're going to talk about the Golden State Killer and how we compare him to other killers. Okay. Now, yesterday, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani... Uh, appeared on Hannity. Now, keep in mind, Hannity, of course, uh, is effectively an apologist for, well, not effectively, he is an apologist for uh, President Trump. So that was the venue that Rudy Giuliani and the team chose to reveal that Cohen, when he said that he paid $130,000 to Stormy out of his own personal money and mortgaged the house, that that's basically a crock, that that was a lie, and that the president said that he had no idea when he was on Air Force One, no idea, don't know her, uh, and or she's a liar, uh, nope, don't know anything about the payment, none of that happened. Well, it turns out, well, maybe he knew about the payment, but it's admitted now that the president did pay for it, but he reimbursed Cohen and clearly this is to skirt the allegation that this was a uh, an election law violation. So with all that said and done, uh, we have John Thomas who joins us uh, all all things political, especially the Trump world. John, good morning and thanks for jumping in. Uh, good morning, Bill. OK, now. All right. First of all, uh, this was well thought out. This was strategic, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, this was not an accident. They, cho- they chose the venue of Hannity because they knew that Hannity would give Giuliani the runway to make his argument and then essentially agree with it, whatever whatever that argument was. So that it was strategic. Uh, there were a couple things at play here. Um, there is the the uh, the way to look at it is what Giuliani is that actually. Uh, possible, possibly true that it wasn't an election uh, campaign violation because it's Trump's personal funds. Number number one and number two is the broader thing we're seeing here is 
it was a clear shift in legal strategy that the president and his team made last night in the sense that uh, if Michael Cohen in fact, did not violate any uh, campaign election laws by making this payment to Stormy. That might ease pressure off of Cohen, who's under massive amounts of pressure from Mueller, as well as the state of New York, that he might not roll on the attorney-client privilege on Trump if they don't have that hatchet on him. Well, and it won't be, uh, I mean, the attorney-client privilege, Cohen can't do anything about if it's legitimately just attorney-client privilege, unless there was... A law that was broken. And there now we go back to the finance finance campaign law. I mean, this is pretty technical stuff we're talking about. But it's well, but it's a big deal because it's still a violation if they find that. It is. So I can basically the 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 debate we're going to see over the next week on this. I mean, I live and breathe this stuff. I'm not an election attorney. However, um, you know, I deal with these kinds of issues all the time, whether I'm, you know, making a decision for a campaign or, quite frankly, catching an opponent breaking the campaign laws. And, and essentially the, the way Giuliani is framing it is uh, this hundred and thirty thousand dollar payment to Stormy Daniels was done over a period of, I think they said, six payments, six monthly payments to Cohen to reimburse him. Uh, It started, yes, before the election, and it concluded after the election. Uh, And therefore, this is Trump's private doing, had nothing to do with the election, and therefore it couldn't be violating campaign finance laws. All right, so go ahead. The Democrats are going to make the argument that this was, in fact – even if Trump did uh, make the payment and it was Trump's money that Trump broke the law because he didn't report a, a campaign, a loan to the campaign uh, of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars because the fact that Stormy didn't speak was directly affecting the election. The problem with that is you're trying to prove a negative. Right. You're trying to prove something that might have affected the election if it did happen. Yeah, it's a very hard thing. I, I, I think what the, the argument is going to rest on is this. Trump and his team – and this is terribly awkward from a public relations standpoint. But if Trump and his team can prove that he's made similar kinds of hush payments in the past in his private life when he wasn't a candidate for office, he can argue that this is just something he does, irrespective of election season. But if it was the first time that he ever did something like this, I think the left has an argument that it is, in fact, an illegal loan to the campaign. All right. So uh, in terms of the strategy aspect of this, uh, and clearly they chose this path. uh, And so here's what I'm going to ask. I'm assuming that the decision to have Giuliani go on Hannity and admit that the money was paid, they're more frightened of a violation of the campaign laws than they are in uh, the accusation that Trump is just lying through his teeth. Uh, That doesn't hurt him. It doesn't hurt him because everybody knows he's a liar. Right. It, it doesn't hurt him. And, and, and as it relates to Stormy, you know, you've chosen your corner on the issue and not so much of whether or not you believe Stormy or you believe Trump. You've chosen your corner whether or not you care about this issue at all. And so the Trump campaign said, OK, you know, we're 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 just going to you know take our licks for the next week of the news cycle. But we don't think that this is going to hurt us at all with our voters because they've also probably done extensive Campa- uh, political poll testing on this issue, and they know whether or not their voters care about this, and they also know whether or not their voters uh, think 
Trump's uh, fudging of the truth, to put it politely, matters to them. And I think they don't they don't believe that at all. They don't well, believe that well, uh, how about they the, care. How about the independence and more importantly, the effect it may have on the midterms? Uh, because he already has his voters. And I know you're involved with people that are pro-Trump and it doesn't matter. Uh, they've uh, they have actually stapled themselves to Donald Trump, whether he's a liar, whether he's not a liar, whether he screwed Stormy uh, Daniels, whether he didn't. It didn't matter. But how about the swing votes? It's it's not quite they don't move in unison on that kind of stuff. So there will be some people that uh, that Donald Trump's relationship with the truth will will affect their vote but i don't believe that this stormy uh revelation is is that was already baked in the cake is what i'm saying if you didn't like donald trump because of his relationship with the truth you weren't with donald trump uh this is just the latest in the series i think if i had to make a generalization of just looking at those swing voters they are people that are worried about putting food on the table for their kids they're worried about getting their kids to their soccer game they're not they don't give a rip about a porn star that the, the president may or may not have had sex and the with fact a while that the ago. president and the fact that the president lies uh, and it, no, they don't care because yeah, I know. Bill, they're looking at their own personal situation of are do they have economic security do they feel that we're at war or we're getting safer are, are, is their is their situation improving is it is it at stasis or is it getting worse all right John That's simply how they look all right we're going to talk tomorrow you're going to be in we're going to talk about Cambridge Analytica out of business. And uh, so that's uh, happening tomorrow. John, thank you. Thanks, Bill. Greatly appreciate it. All right. We're going to come back. Uh, the most, uh, the strictest abortion laws in the country. Uh, Iowa is attempting to pass. Talk about that and your chance to win a thousand bucks. We'll be right back. Saving the stars. KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday, May 3rd. Here is your chance to win some cash. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword WIN to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's WIN to 200-200. The winner is notified with a phone call. If you don't answer it, they move on to somebody else. James in Fallbrook, he answered the call and won $1,000. Your next chance to win coming up next hour. Now, I want to take you back uh, several decades. And when the world of talk radio started, and we're talking about the 60s, right? And uh, and when I got into it uh, in uh, the 80s, the late 80s, there were three, well, It ended up being two topics, but the three topics that were always in the world of talk radio. Number one was the Vietnam War. Should we get out? And then gun control and abortion. Well, the Vietnam War has been over for a little while. Gun control and abortion are as fresh today in terms of the politics and the polarization uh, as fresh today as they were in the 60s. And, uh, well, in the late 60s, because remember it was 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed. And then it was, should we, should we? And then it was, should we get rid of it, good or bad? I mean, it's pretty crazy stuff. So, what's going on? 
Well, up to this point, uh, Roe v. Wade was pretty settled, and there was no question about it. But then you have conservative legislatures. I mean, you have the Deep South, for example. You have states like Arkansas. Uh, you have states uh, like Mississippi uh, that were always had a very tough time uh, with abortion. And so what happened as a result of that? Well, actually nothing happened for many, many years. And then all of a sudden state legislatures figured out a way. All right, we can't kill Roe v. Wade straight on, although they tried over and over again. And the court just shut them down. They would say, hey, look at Roe v. Wade. You can't do jack. That's the law of the land. Until the Supreme Court changes its mind, there's nothing we can do. Well, so the legislatures took another tra- uh, another tack, and that is we're not going to attack it just in a frontal way, head on. What we're going to do is chip away at it. We're going to just make it more difficult. Things like uh, a doctor who performs an abortion uh, has to be within 30 miles of a hospital, even though it's an outpatient procedure, and has to have privileges at the hospital. Well, a lot of hospitals don't give these doctors privileges. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, the courts said that's unconstitutional because an undue burden, effectively what you're saying is just an end around. And you can't do that. And there are all kinds of rules of which been struck down by the courts over and over again. Well, the Iowa legislature just passed a law and it was voted in uh, early, early yesterday morning. And what it does is attack Roe v. Wade head on. Six weeks into a woman's pregnancy is at the point where doctors typically can detect the fetal heartbeat, just the very beginning on an ultrasound. And the Iowa legislatures, and that's when abortion is no longer allowed. And it effectively kills abortion. Because if people don't even know they're pregnant and then have to decide, this is what uh, the the pro-choice people say, A woman can't make a decision instantly. It's something that must be contemplated. What the legislature is doing is effectively saying, uh, you make it up right now. It has to be before the fetal heartbeat. And then it becomes illegal. It becomes a criminal violation. Well, is is that going to be allowed? Well, it's going to go up. It always does. Now, there have been similar cases in which uh, the appellate courts ruled one way or the other, and the Supreme Court refused to hear the case, which means the lower court, the appellate court, that ruling stands, and the appellate courts have always ruled against those kinds of laws, saying if we have abortion, if Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, you can't screw with it that much. Now, they have been able to chip away in certain instances, but uh, a big attack has not even been considered for years. Well, the legislature in Iowa is saying, okay, time for a big attack. Why? Well, because there's this conservative energy that is now flowing through the United States. And if it turns out that any of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg specifically leaves the bench before Donald Trump finishes his term... And it turns out uh, that the court is going to change because obviously Donald Trump is going to put in a very conservative justice. I think sort of a given. And you have Congress, excuse me, Congress uh, will 
be so conservative that they are going to allow a very conservative judge. See, these pieces fall into place. Uh, and that is the, the court becomes far more conservative with additional judges. Uh, Roe v. Wade disappears. The court takes Roe v. Wade and it just it blows up. And that's exactly what these states want to do. And so the Iowa legislature is saying, let's just do the attack right now. Let's just go head on with the attack. Is that going to is that going to work? No, no. I guarantee you a federal judge will shut this down as an undue burden. Guaranteed. And then the appellate court is, in fact, going to uphold what a federal judge says. Then it goes again to the Supreme Court. And does the court hear it or not? And if the court does want to hear it, be prepared for uh, the fight of your life. Be prepared to go back to 1973. And then gun control is a whole other issue. Can't believe that we're back to where we started with the big issues. Go figure. Okay, Brad Garrett. On the Golden State Killer coming up, uh, and some yeah, some comparisons. Why did he get away for so long? Why are others caught so quickly? We'll be back. KFI AM six forty. KFI. Handle here on a Thursday, May 3. May the 1st? Yeah, it's supposed to the 1st. Okay, fair enough. Big stories that we're covering today that are trending like crazy. Rudy Giuliani goes on Hannity and says, well, yeah, president did actually pay for the Stormy Daniels NDA. And the bad food, E. coli, romaine lettuce. Someone just died. They finally have their first death. Or not finally, they now have their first death off of that romaine lettuce. All right. Now, moving over to uh, the Golden State Killer. Uh, Brad Garrett, ABC News uh, crime and terrorism analyst, is with us. Uh, Brad, thanks for joining us this uh, lovely Thursday morning. Hey, a quick question to ask you, amongst others, is uh, that uh, the capture of D'Angelo some 40 years after he did all this uh, is, number one, how unique uh, number two, other than the DNA technology, are there any other aspects about this case that are different from other serial killer cases? Uh, one in particular, Bill, in that uh, you have this dormant period. Now, the, the investigators in California are going to have to figure out if he did anything after 86. But, you know, it, it is somewhat unusual. Now, Dennis Rader, the BTK killer, he went dormant for a long time before he got caught. So, but that's not the norm. The norm is that it's such a compulsion to commit these violent acts that you either get caught or you die. All right. So uh, in terms of, well, let me ask this. How many uh, killers do you know of that are out there that have not been caught in which the accusation is there was a serial killer here involved? Well, more than you might think. I don't think it's a large number, but there are a number of cases around this country, and in particular around the world, that are serial homicide cases that uh, that are still open. So, you know, the other unique aspect of this is the is the numbers. Now, a dozen homicides, obviously, that's horrible. If you look at Ted Bundy, you know, John Wayne Gacy, fill in the blank, they had a lot more homicide victims, but. You know, D'Angelo had, you know, 50-plus sexual assaults and then 
who knows how many home burglaries. I, I, I bet that's in the hundreds. So, uh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. When so when you're talking about uh, in this case the DNA mm-hmm. uh, that was obtained at the crime scene, and then the technology that allowed it to be used, which didn't exist when he first started this, uh, right. don't you have to have the DNA? Or let me go the other way. Uh, how many of these? Uh, murders take place that don't have any DNA, and you're back to just old, fastest, old-fashioned uh, detective work. Well, a number of them, and, and, and you know, it, it is a it, it's a, a dilemma in a lot of violent crimes, whether they be sexual assaults or murders, where you have no DNA to work with. You know, if you walk into a room and shoot a number of people and leave, uh, your DNA is probably not there. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting about D'Angelo is that he, for example, appeared to be quite careful with exception of DNA. You know, he wore gloves. He kept his face covered. Uh, he had pretty cool, it looks like, escape routes in every place he went into. He knew how to get out of it uh, with a culvert or wooded area, but typically behind the house or apartment. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting concept. And the fact that he was a former cop, I'm assuming, uh, gave him a lot of insight in terms of uh, evidence being left or not left. Uh, well, right, right, that's right. All right, so uh, so you have cases that go back dozens and dozens of years, and uh, do the police typically keep uh, those rape kits? Do they keep DNA? Uh, how long does that happen? And then, how many backups are there uh, that there are? There's DNA in various uh, evidence lockers out there that could be used today to capture some of these people? Well, that's going to be in the thousands. Because think about it this way. In a city the size of yours, I mean, you have a fair number of sexual assaults any given year. And so you think about how does it, you know, who stores it? How long do they store it? Now, you know, in theory, they're not supposed to get rid of it. But you know, things change. They run out of room. They don't store them properly. The, you know, the material degrades where you can't really extract DNA or effective DNA from it. Um, and so it is a problem, particularly when you, when you have cases as old as this one. I'm fairly impressed that they still have, uh, you know, a fair amount of DNA, it looks like, from a number of homicides and sexual assaults from the 70s and 80s. And I heard uh, in was it one of the cases where the DNA was extracted, uh, the labs, uh, the judge had ordered uh, the DNA to be destroyed, if I have this right. And then the judge, uh, after he ordered to be destroyed, somehow uh, a lab had it uh, because it was simply misfiled. Does that happen often? Uh, It does happen. It it does happen where it's ordered that it's uh, it's destroyed. But think about it, Bill, in this way, as I mentioned earlier, is this the sheer volume? particularly in sexual assault cases, homicides uh, enough. But, the, I mean, the, the, you know, it's just an incredible number of potential unsolved cases that are in, you know, evidence faults. It's expensive to get them processed. They typically are, in, in, in any urban setting, they typically are, are big time behind in the kits that they have that they've never actually tested so they could be uploaded. And so is there a plan out there? I mean, because of uh, the new advances, is there a movement to uh, spend money to get these kits tested? Or are we in the same place that we've been for the last several years? No, there clearly is a move and have been for a number of years, but it does boil down to money. You know, whether it be LAPD, LASO, fill in the blank, they obviously have to have the money and the manpower 
to do what you're, you and I are talking about. In other words, do they have the technicians that can, you know, get it together? Do they have the money to send it to labs, whether it be a lab in L.A. County or a lab elsewhere to do the testing? So, you know, this really boils down to manpower and money. All right. Uh, thanks. Greatly appreciated, Brad. All right. that, that's Brad Garrett. Uh, I cut off just uh, way too short, right? All right, coming up, uh, a major California housing bill that failed that you wouldn't think would have failed in this state, but it did. And I'll explain uh, all the particulars when we come back. This is KFI. And there's. KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday morning. All right, a story that, you know, a lot of the stories that we cover are so with us. They're so part of living in Southern California or living in California in general. And, of course, uh, the homeless issue. And I try to give you every aspect of the homeless issue. So we have a big time, uh, a global understanding of what's going on here. All right. So one of the things I talked about was um, a law that was uh, being proposed that would take uh, all of the local ordinances, uh, the local planning departments, city councils, etc., cetera, uh, when they okay a building project, sort of take it out of their hands and put it in the state, a statewide program that eliminates a lot of the power that city councils have and planning divisions have. Why? Because they don't let you build. That's why. And so they're bitching in the city of L.A., bitching and moaning about the fact we don't have enough housing. And it turns out that they're the ones that are fighting like crazy against uh, opening up the process. No one screws around with our ability to say yes or no uh, to uh, any kind of development. All right. So uh, what ended up happening? Well, uh, there was a rally outside of uh, San Francisco City Hall where Chinese and Filipino and black tenant activists spoke to the fears of expanding housing this way. They don't want the state to okay new housing. They like the idea of their own cities making that choice. Why is that? Well, because here's the fear. And you open up housing and all of a sudden it becomes gentrified. Because right now, let's say they live in a poor community. They live in a community that's been there for years and years, and the rental and the housing prices simply haven't exploded like a new area does when you have a brand new building. And they're saying, you allow them to build, we are going to lose our ability to pay rent. And that's not fair to us. I guess what they're arguing is keep the neighborhoods uh, in, uh, in such a state that no one will build and rents won't increase. In other words, keep the neighborhoods, the sketchy neighborhoods, keep them sketchy because we can afford to live in those neighborhoods, which I, I, there's validity there. And they're saying that any new housing that goes up in the neighborhood, uh, what it does, only the wealthy will be able to appreciate it, which uh, uh, will be able to purchase it, which is true. I mean, look at any new housing anywhere in Southern California and see if you can get even a condo for $300,000. You can't. So they're saying only the wealthy will be able to rent in this area or to buy. Well, you know, here's the, the, the problem they have with that argument is if I, as a developer, come in and I'm allowed to build 50 units, let's say, on a piece of property, 
Well, right now, uh, I can't get the okay unless I give seven or eight or three of them up for public housing, for low-cost housing. So it increases low-cost housing. It is a direct contradiction to what these folks are saying. And that is, we're getting screwed if you put in housing, but at the same time, the developer saying, but we're increasing housing for the people who can't afford it. And the fight just keeps on going. And so what the state is doing is they're going, okay, we're going to put this on hold. And why are we going to put it on hold? Well, first of all, there was, uh, oh, this demonstration, predominantly white protesters shouting over people of color. And in a very interesting, uh, very interesting twist here. And the irony is instead of uh, the NIMBY people, not in my backyard, what these protesters were are YIMBYs. Yes, in my backyard. We want these developments. So there's two reasons why the pro-development people uh, are arguing and they're so upset. And that is, if it doesn't go through, they're obviously in favor of this. Uh, number one is you have the south, uh, the housing shortage which is going to be in the millions. We simply have to have more housing. And number two, uh, we also have the environment to deal with. How does that connect? Well, where are mo- where's most of this housing going to go? Where do developers want to build this housing? Near major transit areas. Near subway stations, for example. Near major highways. Because part of the sale is... Hey, we're right next to a subway station. You go to New York, you go to London, for example, and you're buying property. Being two blocks away from a subway station, you're talking about probably twice the value of, of, a, of the same unit that's six or eight blocks away from the subway station. And so here's the argument. And that is, if we build, if you give us the ability to build in these areas near transit centers... What happens? Fewer people drive. That's for starters. They're going to use more public transportation. The more people we put in housing, actually the more dense there is in terms of housing, the more environmentally positive it is because the footprint is so much smaller. You get many more people into the same footprint. You know one of the most effective, the most efficient cities on the planet in terms of uh, the carbon footprint of people living there in New York. Because you have one building and you are using one central air conditioning system and you have more people crammed into a lesser space. It's just cheaper. It's It's simply a matter of efficiency than the same number of people living in various, well, can you imagine New York? Where would they live if there weren't high rises? All right, so we're going to see what happens. Obviously, I'm in favor of developers building like crazy. And uh, because my brother's a developer and I grew up in the construction industry. And uh, the argument is for those of you uh, that say, or for those people that say, but we can't afford any kind of new housing. Well, there's an answer here. Get rich. It's really not that complicated. God, I'm so good at this, all right? Boy, there's analysis, right? All right, coming up, a success from scratch. 
success from a side gig uh, that actually is a nine gag. Uh huh. I'll explain that. KFI AM six forty. She said, "Baby, let's go." When I told her, I said, KFI handle here on a uh, Thursday. Uh, the big stories that we're covering uh, today that are trending is uh, the Giuliani Trump issue. Uh, Rudy Giuliani yesterday said, yep, actually, uh, Trump did pay to uh, that money to Stormy Daniels, uh, but he didn't. Michael Cohen paid it, and what Trump did is reimburse Michael Cohen. So they're obviously moving away from Trump's position. Uh, also, uh, the CDC says uh, we now have uh, the first death as a result of uh, the E. coli outbreak uh, connected to uh, romaine lettuce that came from the Yuma, Arizona area. All right. Now, uh, success from scratch brought to you by Lifteek. You can look years younger without facelift surgery. Go to Lifteek.com. Right, let's go back 10 years ago. And the Internet was obviously uh, a lot different than it is now. Uh, Facebook, which has been around for a while, just barely introduced a chat feature. Twitter launched in Japan and introduced its trending topics feature. So uh, at that time, the ability to share funny and trendy and for the most part, stupid content wasn't as easy to come by as it is today. Next time someone sends me a cat video, I'm going to blow my brains out. Okay, just want to let you know. So uh, there's uh, a guy at uh, the University of Hong Kong, Ray Chan, who wanted uh, to find a simpler way to share funny and stupid photos with his friends. And obviously, we now know the more moronic, the better. So he partnered with his brother, Derek, and three of their friends. And they decided they were going to create uh, what they referred to as the time is just a for fun side project. And man, did they, it, they went to venture capitalists. They went all over. But it turned out uh, that it was family that was able to put the $1,270 together to start this venture. Go to a venture capitalist and ask for $1,270 sometime. Well, actually, we don't do anything under, let's say, $40 million. Yeah, but I only want $1,270. So they put it together. What they didn't know is this side gig would actually become a global entertainment giant of over 150 million users a month. And it's called 9Gag. That's the number 9, G-A-G. And what it does is host and distribute funny pictures and videos and GIFs and uh, memes. And they have different categories. Uh, Funny animals. (sighs) Food and crafts, uh, the more niche classic art memes, sci-tech cosplay. My daughter was into cosplay. Uh, she's more of a gamer now, but my God, you know, looking at what they spend on cosplay costumes. And users can upload their own videos and, uh, that's, and photos to the site and search for what's trending. And how do you get to the top. What's the most prominently displayed content? Well, it's a combination of ratings and an algorithm that they wrote. So how did 9Gag get its name? Well, a bunch of stories here. 
Nine is pronounced uh, goo in Cantonese. Uh, the digit nine is, uh, well, it's pronounced gao, I'm sorry. And when uh, goo gag is translated, because that also is gag, as you know, it means bad jokes or stupid jokes. So uh, the translation, literal translation is broken joke. Huh. I guess that works. Now, according to million dollars, just as a fun. Now, the one that you really have to be impressed with is Mark Zuckerberg, because that fun little project that he started at Harvard. How much do you think that's worth? All right. Coming up, teachers pay is so low that schools are actually hiring from. I'll tell you when we come back. Also, your chance to win a thousand dollars. Amy King. KFI, AM uh, 640 handle on a uh, Thursday morning. Here's your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword money to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's money to 200-200. The winner's notified with a phone call, which you must answer like Lupe and Victorville did. Your next chance to win $1,000 coming up next hour. All right. Uh, you have seen, I mean, how, how can you not if you pay attention to the news at all, all of these teachers by the tens of thousands demonstrating in uh, state capitals all over the country and they're all in these red t-shirts and it's the uh, hashtag red for ed movement because teachers just aren't getting paid i mean they make bad money in many places in the united states for example arizona uh teacher pay is more than ten thousand dollars below the national average of $59,000 a year, 49 grand a year for a teacher, which eh, doesn't seem bad, but let me tell you, that's not good money at all. So what are they doing? Well, let me give you the story of uh, one school district, uh, the Pendergast Elementary School District, and what they did at other school districts are doing this across the country is they're reaching out to foreigners, foreigners, and in their case, they're going to the Philippines, and a lot of teachers from the Philippines come. And so uh, th- there's a story about one guy, Donato Soberano, and he is typical uh, because the pay here, even at, are you ready for this, at $49,000 a year, is 10 times more than that same teacher gets in the Philippines. So let's do it. Do they come over here legally? They do. Uh, it is a J-1 visa, which allows people to temporarily work in the United States, but there is no path to citizenship. Uh, it is good for, I think, a couple of years or three years. Then you have to go back and refile, reapply. But it doesn't matter. Because, number one, uh, the teachers from the Philippines are able to send back money. I mean, how do they do it? I mean, how do you do it? Well, if you're making $49,000 a year and you're rooming with five other teachers, all of, uh, usually of the same uh, Filipino background. So they all have this balut. They they eat uh, as snacks these uh, embryos. 
embryo eggs, chicken embryos. It's very disgusting. But with that, they can actually save the money. But you know what it costs? It costs him, in this case, $12,000 to do it. So that took, that's taken him two years to pay off. Thousands of dollars to a job broker. And uh, you have to put up money. I mean, there, it is not easy to do this. There is the job broker. There is a company that has to sponsor here. And that money, uh, that's several thousand dollars. But the school districts are saying, we don't have any other choice. And so you're talking about someone from the Philippines who comes over. And Sobrano has tremendous credentials. He's got an undergrad degree and a master's degree. He's 20 years a teacher. So there's no problem with his uh, credentials. But, you know, uh, a lot of these people don't speak English very well. And when they do speak English, uh, it's with a very heavy Filipino accent. And it's not easy to understand. And uh, all of it. And none of this makes sense. Well. Actually, no, it does make sense. Because what, what ended up happening? How did we get to this position? Well, because you had uh, state governments that uh, effectively robbed the entire education process. For example, California. California had to pay back, I don't know how many tens of billions of dollars to the various teachers' funds. And the educational fund that simply during the recession was not paid. And they had to pay pursuant to law. So the school districts and the states are caving. In Arizona, 25% raise. Over the next, what, five, six years? Not enough. The teachers are adamant. And you, you have these legislatures and governors saying, you know what, well, we just can't afford it. We just don't have the money to pay. And therein lies the next question that I have. How is it that it used to be there was plenty of money? When I went to grade school here in uh, Southern California, I went to LA Unified. You know, there was plenty of money. They handed out supplies. They even gave us our crayons. They gave us rulers. They gave us crayons. And of course, they gave us textbooks. And when I went to high school, junior high and high school, LA Unified, we, the only thing we had to pay for is the book covers. That was mandatory. And you could either spend a nickel for the brown paper ones, or you could spend a dime for the plastic sort of half laminated ones. That was it. Today, there's no money for anything, not textbooks, not supplies. So the teachers, what they're doing, is not only are they getting miserable money, they're paying for supplies out of pocket in so many cases around the country. No, no wonder they're upset. And, what do you, and, and again, where do you get the money? That's always my question. Where do you get the money? All right, coming up, handle on the news, late edition. KFI AM 640. There. Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. You can use this on your broadcast. Handle, you're an idiot. Take care. KFI, Handle here. It is a uh, Thursday, May the 3rd. And uh, we still have uh, plenty more to cover. Coming up at 9.30, Cool Space News with uh, Rod Pyle. There really is some Cool Space News. And uh, if you know someone is suffering from 
PTSD serious, usually former uh, armed service people who have been in combat in this case. There may be an answer here. And I should have been part of the study. Well, based on my history, I'll explain that. I know what's weird is weird. Okay, now uh, let's do it. Handle on the news, late edition. We, oh, first, an announcement, please. Yes, you hear him be a jerk on the radio. Now's a chance to see him be a jerk in person. I'm talking, of course, about Bill Handle, just one of the many KFI hosts that'll be at a special event. You donate now to help the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California, and then you and a guest can mix and mingle. Not just mix with you, Bill, mingle with you also at an exclusive event. It's at the beautiful OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles. Cocktails, appetizers, a thousand feet above the city on top of that U.S. bank tower. You can meet the whole KFI team. There's a live Q&A session with the host's photo opportunities. You got to be 21 years or older to attend. There's limited tickets. You got to get them now. For more details, log on to KFIAM640.com and search the keyword mixer. Yep, looking forward to it. As uh, I will be asking everybody, so you think the big one is about to hit? Thousand feet in the air? Yeah. All right, guys, let's do it. Lead story. Michael would represent me. All right, uh, the Stormy Daniels uh, fiasco keeps on just getting better and better. Has some serious legs, even better legs than she has. So uh, yesterday... Uh, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani of, New, uh, Giuliani of New York went on the Hannity show and said, uh, oh, by the way, you don't know this, but the president did pay the $130,000. But but didn't he say that he didn't? That's not the issue here. The issue here is that campaign finance laws were not broken. And also the issue is Stormy Daniels broke the agreement. That's the issue, too. Yeah, nothing to do with him paying or not paying. So uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, minutiae here, and that is the violation. Uh, the president, uh, through Giuliani, uh, is saying that uh, it really wasn't a $130,000 check that was written. It was a retainer that was given over a matter of several months of $35,000 a month. So maybe he didn't know and he could have not known, or maybe he knew 10 days ago. And so they're, it's going to be muddied again. But, you know, they're changing their tune, for sure. A vi- very violent domestic dispute in Connecticut has left six officers injured. Tiny explosions. Tiny explosions. Oh, yeah. yeah, very strange. There were explosions Wednesday as police responded to a report about a man holding his wife hostage. Geez, that just happened here, too. Um, and uh, apparently a back building, like a, a farmhouse kind of thing, was booby-trapped. Yeah, and they went there, and it exploded. Good news is it doesn't look like there are any fatalities. No cuts although and abrasions. Although primarily. they don't know where the guy is. No, he took, yeah, he took yeah, he off. he took off. Or he got blown up, one of the two. Uh, Chief Charlie Beck says maybe it's time to drop the drop. This is the uh, program, the Deferred Retirement Option Plan that police officers and firefighters can take advantage of. And the L.A. Times did a big expose that people would enter this program so they're still working and getting their pension at the same time. And some of them 
would almost immediately go out on extended paid sick leave. And double dip. And be double dipping and, look, double dipping and not working, which is part of what you needed to do to double dip. Now, this is all unintended consequences. The Mm -hmm. point was to keep these police officers who are about to retire from not retiring. Say, okay, you can get your pension, but we'll still pay you. But all of this, and it's ending up costing, well, uh, according to this story, the LA Times, uh, $1.6 billion in extra early pension checks. Now, it doesn't say over which period of time, uh, but um, right, it's still, I mean, it's crazy. And, it, and also, it doesn't say what did the city save, if anything, in recruiting costs to replace and training the people, costs, training costs and all of that. But it doesn't, probably not $1.6 billion. It's and it's it's a shame. It really is. So you, everybody now in the city you do government. Because you have police officers, not all of them, but taking advantage of this. Oh, just a handful, you know, a very small percentage were taking advantage, but well, you see actually, how it adds up. Uh, actually, not quite that small a percentage. Uh, here is Flat out abusing it? Uh, uh, no, it's, you're right. It's a small percentage. The only issue is uh, that those who are not in the drop program uh, missed work half the time than those people that were in the drop program. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. Want to make some money renting your house? Not so fast. Los Angeles, California, in the sunlight by the sea. City Council has unanimously voted for some uh, proposed rules that will limit how often you can rent out your uh, apartment or house for Airbnb. Yep, and it has to be your primary residence. So it actually has to be the house you're living in? Yeah, it can't be these uh, apartment buildings that are being bought homes that are being bought for the purpose of renting them out on Airbnb because you just make a lot more money. Well, neighborhoods are going crazy, saying we have people walking in and out, uh, you know, in this nice, quiet neighborhood. All of a sudden, we have strangers 30, 40 a week going through here. And you've got the hotel industry that's just a little bit pissed off at Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of housing, high housing costs are driving out the the lower-income Californians. Boy, that's Is news. this a surprise? Yeah, they're they news. did a big here's the thing. They did a big study. This place called the Beacon Economics uh, did a big research to determine that because housing prices are high in California, lower income people are yeah. leaving the state. Now, to be fair, uh, what this study does is give us real numbers. So you know how many are moving out and where the income level is and where is at what point is critical mass where people can't afford to live here. And that gives us some information. But Big whoop. Yeah. Well, right. It's not surprising. It's ex- and, all, and also, and what can be done about it? Yeah. Well, then we go back to the story that I did before, and that is uh, the state wants to build a lot more. The cities want to build a lot more, but we're also, we, the cities, want to stop it at the same time. It's instant forever. It's black and white. It's up and down. Right? It's square and round all at the same time. We'll be back. And do more handle on the news later. All right, KFI handle here on a Thursday morning as we finish handle on the news later edition with Amy King in for Jennifer this week, Wayne Resnick, and me. The homeless are heading to the heart of Koreatown. Yep, 
to a parking lot. A parking lot. Well, it's part of this. This is actually a very sensible program to find parking lots and other similar locations where the people who own them right. or run them are amenable and let homeless people uh, sleep there. It's usually people sleeping in their cars. Right. And so, but you have the neighborhood. Now, if it's a business uh, area, then they're more apt to allow that to happen. A residential area is just out of the question. But high-end apartments and new restaurants are in this area. Uh, well, if it's high-end apartments uh, and uh, restaurants that are open, right, I excluded, uh, I, I was I was thinking of nine-to-five businesses, yeah. uh, it's a problem. I mean, there's uh, there's no good answer. That's the problem with this homeless issue. There is no good answer. Because it's a lot of NIMBY, not in my backyard. And in this case, it's uh, a parking lot of which uh, there's no parking in Koreatown to start with. Well, that's one of the concerns is that it's going to make it more difficult because it's, you know, it's a cool area and it's fun to go to dinner down there and parking's already a mess. And Eric Garcetti uh, handled it beautifully. Ah, we'll take care of it. We'll find the parking. Where? We'll just find it. How about in back of your house? The Getty Mansion. Does he live at the Getty Mansion, Garcetti? You mean in the mayor's residence yeah. down there? Uh, I think so. I, I think he does. Sixth and Irving. It's a really nice house, too. Yeah. Everybody should go over there and camp on his lawn. Hey, it's Amazon <laughs> v. Seattle. In Seattle. Seattle, of course, uh, is going to vote on a new tax on employers. And it's big to employers. help big employers to help homelessness and affordable housing. And, of course, Amazon is the biggest employer. So Amazon said, oh, you know that uh, office tower project we've been working on? Nah, we're not going to do that. And they're starting to fight back and try to yeah. throw their clout around. Now, as between Amazon and the city of Seattle, I think Amazon's going to win. I think so, too, because yeah. what's the point of passing that tax and Amazon it's gets Amazon so upset with you, they pull all their business well, out? Well, yeah, that's only new business. They still have 40,000 employees. And they could, if they're really upset, they could, remember, they want to open a second headquarters. And they're going to. But and they're expanding, to- they're expanding, and this is not the second headquarters. I think of Boston and up in Vancouver, Canada, they could slowly start to migrate the existing people out of there as well and leave Seattle with nothing. And this, is, really a per, and this is a per head tax. Per employee tax, yeah. And they're they're going to have 7,000 new employees at this new place if they finish it. A lot more women say this rose stinks. So in a race to the finish line, who wins? Charlie Rose or Bill Cosby? Oh. With a number of well, accusers. Cosby, Cosby is now a criminal abuser, so maybe he wins? Well, assuming uh, winning is bad, right? Yeah, this is right. like exactly. Low, it's like golf, low but score wins. I, I think we're talking about the number because an, oh, 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 an additional twenty-seven women have come forward and accused Charlie Rose of uh, committing all those uh, acts of misconduct, sexual harassment, etc., dating back to nineteen seventy-six. Now, what makes this story particularly interesting is uh, that. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it CBS or PBS, uh, had three accusations that they ignored over the years. Over Yeah, over a span of 30 years, the managers have been told like three times, something's really wrong, and they didn't do anything about it. But then again, that's it was Charlie Rose, and he was the star of PBS. Right. And again, it's a question of Harvey Weinstein, who is more powerful than any of these other figures. Of course, he had people's careers in his hands, uh, but... Uh, 
Well, and some of the women who say they they were harassed um, say that they were afraid to report the yeah, violations and that. because that, because Rose. of the power. That's true. I mean, that is the issue. I think it has to do with the number of people now. I think if it's only one or two, uh, that's obviously far, far less serious. And when does it really become overwhelming? At twelve? At twenty? All right, one last story. Uh, Camille Cosby is mad at everybody except the guy she should be. Well, here comes my She's wife. lashing out at the women who accused her husband, the prosecutors who prosecuted him, the media that reported on it. She called the verdict mob justice and said uh, an innocent person has been found guilty by right. an unthinking, unquestioning, unconstitutional frenzy. And you know what else she did? She tried to compare Bill Cosby to Emmett Till. Yeah, good God. That is when you have really uh, gone off yeah. the rails. Emmett Till, a 14-year-old boy who was lynched yeah. for allegedly either flirting or whistling at the uh, female owner yeah. of a store, who later admitted she made it up, by the way. Yeah, he was actually, I think, beaten to death, but... Uh... It, it really didn't matter. In any case, uh, Camille Cosby is, I, I just don't get her. Oh, incidentally, the Lynch mob, mob justice, all 12 of them who sat in a jury, right? In that jury box. There's your mob justice. Oh, Camille Cosby is a very interesting woman uh, because obviously it doesn't matter uh, if Bill Cosby were to admit it to her, she would deny it. But also, do you remember when their son was killed yes. over here on the 405, uh, the young man uh, who was uh, just, yes. yeah, who just it, and it made no sense. It was one of those wrong place, wrong time. She wrote an op-ed piece in the L.A. Times, and what she argued, it wasn't the guy who actually killed him. He wasn't at fault. It's you, white society, that killed my son. Uh, and that was hugely controversial. When that came out. Now, the reality is it's a mother who just lost her son. So you, you, you give her a pass. But I remember it had exploded with her blaming us if you're yeah. white. And why did she blame white people? Do you remember? Oh, uh, yeah. It was just a, basically a... Just because? A, be, well, a form of racism. Which because is interesting. Because we the, were all driving on the I, same I get, And the guy who killed uh, Ennis was a Ukrainian immigrant. Was he? Le- I don't even know if he was here legally. I don't remember that part. All right. Yeah. All right. Anyway, coming up, uh, the president's threats to the Justice Department. There has never been a fight between justice and the president like this ever. KFI AM six forty. KFI AM uh, six forty. Bill Handel here. It is a Thursday morning. Uh, Hey, today there is going to be a rather special uh, John and Ken broadcast. Uh, Cobalt is with us. Uh, John, where are you going to be and what's this about? Uh, We're going to be outside the Aloha Steakhouse on the promenade in Ventura. And uh, there's going to be a lot of angry Venturans there because everybody's very traumatized and upset over that, uh, that dad, Anthony Mealy Jr., who got stabbed in the throat and died. Uh, he was stabbed in the throat by a crazy vagrant, and he had his daughter sitting on his lap and wife across from him on the t- at the table, and they're just eating dinner. And this guy busted into the restaurant and, and this... killed him. And I think that's 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 the last straw. Yeah, He's well, been putting up with uh, all this nonsense for too long, and now this is it. Now uh, you're going to be right in front of the restaurant, or just down the uh, the way a little bit. Uh, the the plan is to be right in front of the restaurant. 
possible we might get moved around, but uh, we'll be along the promenade. Okay, that's uh, in uh, Ventura today, starting at your regular time, right, John? Yeah, two to six. All right, take care, John. All right. All right. See you later. Bye. All right, so that's John and Ken today uh, with one of their uh, remote broadcasts. Do we ever do? No, we don't do remote contra. Uh, no, we uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we should. I just don't know. I just don't Costco. Yes, I was going to say, let's go to Costco. But they'll never get, we will, they'll never get, give us permission to do that. That's number one. Number two, we can do it at a Home Depot, uh, and just talk to the people that are there, but I don't speak enough Spanish, so that's out of the question. I'll translate. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on. And, uh, what's going on between the president and the Justice Department? Well, the last time there was this kind of bad blood between the Justice Department and a president was during the Watergate era with Richard Nixon. And uh, the president is not real happy because it's the Justice Department that is investigating the uh, interference of uh, the Russians in our election, and it's gone far, far wider than that. Robert Mueller's investigation has truly expanded, and and it's all the Justice Department. I mean, that's... It's Trump's employees who are interviewing and looking at investigating Trump and his campaign. Now, let me think about that for a moment. You have an employee who is turning around and looking at what you do. I mean, how long are you going to keep that employee employed? I wouldn't, but it's very different with uh, the president and Department of Justice. Uh, why? Well, first of all, it's mainly political considerations. Even though today the Justice Department has more autonomy than did the Justice Department during the Nixon years, it really is more of a tradition where there's an independence. It really isn't law. So the president can absolutely fire Rod Rosenstein who is uh, the assistant or the uh, deputy attorney general, who chose Robert Mueller to head the investigation. And this is an investigation against their president. And needless to say, the uh, president is not very happy. In an interview with Fox's News, Fox and Friends, who he watches, uh, which he watches religiously every morning, he said, I've taken the position, and I don't have to take this position, maybe I'll change that I will not be involved with the Justice Department. I will wait until this is over. It's all—it's a total. It's all lies. And a horrible thing is going on. And what uh, he said is, I will have no choice but to use the powers granted to the presidency and get involved. No one actually knows what that means. I mean, technically, uh, he certainly has the power to fire everybody. But that's what Nixon tried to do. His attorney general, Elliot Richardson, he said, you've got to uh, uh, either you fire the special prosecutor. And and Elliot Richardson said, no, not going to do it. So he had to resign. And it's going to be fascinating if Rod Rosenstein and Mueller are fired, which the president can do. What happens to the attorney general, Jeff Sessions? If I had to guess... I think Sessions would resign. Because if nothing else, now you may think Sessions is a pretty right-wing crazy guy. Certainly, I believe that in terms of his view on marijuana. 
Uh, he still thinks marijuana is a gateway drug, and he truly believes, like my father did, that the first time you pick up a joint, and as you put it down in the ashtray, there is a syringe full of heroin right next to it, and you inject it directly into your eyeballs. I think Jeff Session believes that. However, uh, this man has uh, two, is very ethical. He has a tremendous reputation or had in the Senate. Everybody liked him, uh, a true gentleman. And I think he, well, for example, the recusal. Uh, he just said, I am not going to get anywhere near this intervention uh, in, or investigating the Russian intervention. I have, there's possible conflict, and I am done. And the president almost fired him for it. Matter of fact, the president lambasted Sessions. I mean, treated him with just utter contempt, disregard for his feelings, yelling at him. And Jeff Sessions had said, I've, I've never been yelled at like that in my life. So, and he tried to resign, and uh, Trump wouldn't take the resignation. So what ends up happening? Well, it's a political fallout. That's what it's all about. And I think this is so explosive if he fires uh, Rosenstein and he fires Mueller. I think, and Lindsey Graham has already said it, and I think there may be something to it. This is the beginning. If he does that, it's the beginning of the end of his presidency. Certainly, it would, uh, I think, the first term would be it. Because can you imagine you have a president in which you have an investigation going on, and most people think that the investigation should continue. And Donald Trump stops the investigation about him, his campaign, cold. You can't do that. Now, as long as he is stopping it for not to obstruct justice, but just firing everybody, that I think he can do. But politically, ah, man. And he may go there. Right now, he's been listening to his advisors on this one. Because I can't imagine any advisor telling him, blow it up. Fire everybody. We'll stop this cold. We'll see, because this is, this is a very unusual president, in case you haven't guessed it yet. All right, coming up, a cure for PTSD, and you're not going to know where it came from. And a chance to win $1,000. We'll be right back. KFI, handle here. And here is your chance to win some money. Your shot at $1,000 now. Text the keyword BILLS to 200-200. You'll get a text confirming entry plus iHeartRadio info. Standard data and messaging rates apply. That's BILLS to 200-200. If you're the winner, they're going to call you, but you have to answer the call like Angela in San Clemente. She won $1,000, and you have another chance to win $1,000 next hour. Now... Uh, PTSD uh, amongst service people that are returning from Iraq, Afghanistan, especially if they've done several tours, uh, is a real tough issue. Very hard to treat. Uh, there was a study that was just uh, brought out, uh, published in the uh, British journal, The Lancet Psychiatry. We're talking about a very high-end journal. It's like the American Medical Association Journal. And uh, what the study showed, and this is real stuff, too. 
is that most treatments for PTSD, and the more serious the PTSD is amongst the service people, uh, the harder it is to treat. And frankly, uh, it really doesn't work so well. Well, they found something that looks like it's going to work real well. And uh, that is ecstasy. I mean, ecstasy, right? The drug that uh, people take at raves, uh, the drug that in my druggy days I took once. Good stuff, too, by the way. Got to tell you that, uh, yeah, wouldn't do it again, but I was impressed. And what ecstasy does, of course, puts you in a state of uh, wellness where everything is great, uh, where you're, you're happy. You can look at life in a very different way. And it opens up your ability to look at things in a different perspective. And what you have is uh, the brain is flooded with hormones and uh, neurotransmitters. And that's what the drug does is flood the brain with those. And it's a feeling of trust, well-being. And the researchers say it allows uh, the patients to re-examine uh, their traumatic memories. And this, I have to tell you, it, first of all, it's a fairly small study right now. Uh, it's only a few dozen people, and it's just been okayed by the FDA to go into the next uh, human trials. So it's, And they're going to fast-track it because it seems to be that effective. So uh, you don't go home with a bottle of ecstasy. As a matter of fact, this is the closest to a real drug trip uh, that I've ever seen when it comes to a, a therapeutic approach. So it would only be administered by a licensed therapist— the patient first goes through three sessions of psychotherapy, which are almost worthless these days, or it's very difficult to deal with uh, PTSD with psychotherapy. In the fourth session, the patient takes the pill. And then after taking the drug, the patient lies on a futon amid candles and fresh flowers, listening to music. And two therapists, one male, one female, sit at the patient's side as guide, chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. No, they don't do that. It'd be good if they did, but no, it doesn't work that way. So they sit at the patient's side as guides. Because one of the things that happens when you go into a different state, a hallucinogenic state, which this is not quite, is you really need guides to help you out because you can get really crazy. The session lasts eight hours. I mean, it's a long haul. And that combined with therapy seems to do it, although the drug itself is far more effective than the therapy. I think the therapy is the first three sessions just to sort of get someone prepared to have the ecstasy. And there's a Marine veteran, a story about this guy, Nigel McCurry. Uh, was deployed to Fallujah, Iraq in 2004. There was an explosion, nearly killed him, killed a bunch of his buddies. And he was haunted not only by that, but the memory of two young girls he accidentally killed in a firefight. And he just had an insaneable, an insane amount of guilt dealing with it. After taking the drug, he said, I was actually able to forgive myself. Like many other patients. He said, when it kicked in, it was like an epiphany. I could see all of these things from combat I was afraid to look at before. I had a totally new perspective. I relieved the parts of me I had lost. 
And it was a turning point for him. Now, he said there's still some challenges. I mean, I still have PTSD. But I'm able to work through them without getting stuck like I was doing when I was simple uh, therapy. So large-scale trials, which have been okayed by the FDA, will include now up to 300 participants. Uh, Right now, it's, I think, about a dozen. But it is the evidence at this point is very, very convincing. And uh, it's here's the way uh, Dr. John Crystal describes what's going on now, the current lack of effective therapy. He says it is a crisis that we're not doing enough. By the way, uh, this is a doctor who heads the neuroscience division of the Department of Veterans Affairs. So we're talking about a guy who really knows his stuff. So who's behind this? You think a big pharmaceutical would be, right? No. It's a small nonprofit uh, that is paying for this. Big Pharma has nothing to do with this. Why? Because there's no patent. It was actually, this is wonderful. Remember Merck, you've heard of that uh, giant Merck. It's one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. It actually came up with and patented this in 1912 and never marketed it. And the patent lapsed. So now you have this nonprofit and it's all donation money. That's being used to fund this testing. But if it works, which it sure looks like it's going to work. Wow, what a great tool to use uh, with people who are suffering from uh, PTSD in the service of our country, by the way. I mean, that makes it, that's a double hit. All right, coming up, Cool Space News with Rod Pyle. Got lots, we have got, got lots to cover. Boy, I was an English major, by the way. And uh, you did very well. Uh, yeah, we... You do good, Bill. Yeah, we got lots of stuff here, <laughs> don't we? We got it. We have some really good, cool space news coming up with Rod. Is Kay. it about their recent launch? Uh, it's one of them. That's one of the things oh, we're talking good. about. I can't yeah. wait. Yep. And uh, we'll... Uh, check. Ten... We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Three, Not because they are easy, two, but because they are hard. One, zero. KFI presents liftoff. We have a liftoff. Cool Space News with Rod Pyle. All right. KFI AM640 handle here. Uh, top trending news stories. Uh, Giuliani and Trump. Oh, yeah. Julian admits, well, maybe Donald Trump did pay for the Stormy Daniels NDA. Uh, First Romaine lettuce death, the E. coli. And uh, we've been covering a lot of big news, but nothing, nothing we have covered in the past year is as big as the news that Wayne Resnick is going to give you right now. Well, we're having a special event later this year. uh, For some people who are going to make nice donations to the Red Cross. If you donate now... To help the American Red Cross Initiative to get prepared California, you and a guest will mix and mingle with the KFI crew. It's an exclusive evening at the OUE Sky Space in Los Angeles, right up there on top of the U.S. Bank Tower, a thousand feet above the city. Cocktails, appetizers, meet everybody, live Q&A session with the hosts, photo opportunities. You have to be 21 years or older to attend There's limited tickets for this thing. You've got to get them before they're gone. For the details, log on to KFIAM640.com. Look up the keyword mixer. All right. All right, we're back. And now 
possibly one of the best segues in the history of segues, talking about sky uh, sky space. Uh, let's go to Rod Pyle of pilebooks.com. Good morning, Rod. Good morning. How are you? I, I missed that whole that whole segue. I was just I just oh you there was the uh, the announcement that. Uh, Wayne just did about our uh, event coming up in October. All right. Yeah, okay. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, that was perfect. Yeah, as long, yeah, I don't care if you listen to it or not as long as our listeners listen to it. All right. We've got a lot to cover. And uh, we've got on uh, Saturday uh, a new Mars probe. And tell us what's going to happen, when, and what it's going to do. So Saturday morning at 4 a.m., if the weather holds, it's not looking real good right now, uh, the Mars InSight mission will launch out of Vandenberg, just up the coast from us on an Atlas rocket, and it'll land on Mars, we hope, on November 26th of this year. And uh, this is a a kind of, this mission hasn't gotten a lot of coverage because it's a geophysics mission. So it's not about pictures, particularly. It's not about uh, life hunting or anything exciting or sexy like that. This is a static lander that'll set down a little north of the equator, not too far from where Curiosity landed. And it's gonna set a seismometer on the surface which will look for measuring Mars quakes. And then it's going to do a very interesting thing. It's going to set out what kind of looks like a big long tentacle that's going to burrow 16 feet down into the Martian surface. And that's the first time we'll have gone deeper than just a couple inches with a scoop. And it's going to look for heat flow, which tells us a lot about the geophysics and the internal makeup of the planet. So between being able to measure how heat moves out of the surface and the seismology of the planet, you get a much better idea of how it's set up, what the core is like, what what the composition of the interior of the planet might be, and so forth. What makes this kind of a weird one is they, they look for a really boring landing site because normally you want to find cool rocks and interesting features to go explore. This one was we just want somewhere nice, flat, safe, plain, boring, because all we're going to do is dig. So that's what this one's all about. All right, so uh, you've got a 16-foot deep, uh, well, uh, you basically have a 16-foot proctoscope. And yeah. it's uh, okay. Self hammering proctoscope. It's got a little weight in it that hammers it where it's got to go. So, how about that? Well, but if they don't know what's under that particular piece of land, what if it's a, a rock? Uh, yes. does, it ha- does it have the power to go through that, or are they just out of luck on this one? I think they're out of luck on that one. You just got to take your best shot. There is one other very cool part of it, which is they're taking up a couple of CubeSats. They're going to deploy from the uh, spacecraft right before it goes into its landing. And remember, these things don't go into orbit. They just hurtle straight into the atmosphere like a like a rifle bullet fired from Earth. Uh, these two little CubeSats are going to monitor and relay all the data from it as it's landing, which will be the first time we've done it that way. And it's also the first time they've ever sent CubeSats beyond Earth orbit. And these things are about the size of a cigar box. So they're kind of experimental, but very cool. And they'll be fascinating to see what happens. All there. right. So the signal goes to them and then it's forwarded to Earth. Do I have that right? Yes, sir. Uh, okay. Size of a cigar box? Yeah. God, that's kind of neat. Boy, they're getting smaller and smaller. Well, yeah, and some of the ones that, you know, these are being built, not these two, but but CubeSats in general being built and launched out of universities. And some of them just use processors out of cell phones because they're good enough. And some of them use the cameras out of cell phones because they're good enough. So it's really a cool way to bring down the cost of doing all this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming uh, that they're so small, uh, if you have a payload, you just throw a couple of these on there and no one pays attention. 
Yeah, and they've got a standard interface. This company called NanoRacks builds a standard interface uh, rack that goes into the, the nose cone of the rocket. So you can have five, six, eight of these things go springing out. I think the record was 108 of them went up on an Indian rocket at one point. And they just kind of shoot in all directions and go out and do their thing. Some of them are maneuverable. They've got solar panels, so they just cool. keep doing their deal. Yeah, it is cool. Okay. You could make one. Uh, yeah, I'm not interested. Uh, okay. Now, uh, Bezos, that actually is kind of cool. All right, uh, Bezos' tourist rocket. Uh, it's actually moving closer, but it's still not going to beat uh, the Virgin rocket, is it? Well, in a way, no, but, but it's cooler, I, I think. Um, so Virgin is a rocket plane that drops from a carrier aircraft that takes you up to, I think, 60,000 feet, and then rockets up at a suborbital trajectory, and you... You release your seatbelt and bounce around inside the cabin and, and look out a bunch of little windows, and you have your suborbital flight for 8, 10, or 12 minutes. Bezos is doing it on a small rocket, which he just launched for the eighth time, and it's the seventh reuse. They had one accident. And uh, went up to 66 miles, which is about four miles beyond the space boundary, as we officially consider it, and um, was successful. So if you paid for that, and nobody knows the price yet, we're guessing somewhere between fifty dollars and $200,000, but uh, if you paid for that ride, you'd had 10 minutes of straight up and straight down in this big ballistic arc, but there's six people in this capsule, and you've got a window that's about two and a half by four feet in front of you, so you've got this incredible view and weightlessness. And uh, so, you know, this, this is a company, this is Blue Origin, Bezos's company. It's been operating kind of in stealth mode since 2000. He does put out news releases, but obviously he's been a lot quieter about what he's doing in SpaceX. And he hasn't engaged the industry in the same way SpaceX is. So we're waiting with a lot of anticipation because, you know, this thing's flown over and over and over again. Clearly it works to go up. Clearly it works to land. The capsules come down. It's safe. The mannequin wasn't damaged. So let's go already. All right. So th is this uh, is is this company that Bezos has? Uh, is it limited to uh, tourism? Uh, uh, unlike, for example, uh, you've got uh, Elon Musk's company SpaceX, right. which is all commercial. Uh, no, it, it he started with tourism, but really this was just a way. He's he also like like Elon is very interested in the incremental approach. So he is building and testing successfully. Uh, half million pound thrust rocket engines, which is the biggest thing that's been built in this country since the shuttle. And he's not only going to use those on his next big rocket, which is about the size of, of Musk's Falcon Heavy, and that's called the New Glenn, but he's also selling them to United Launch Alliance for their new rocket so that they can compete with him and Musk. So it's a really interesting step in new yeah. space, the kind of thing we haven't seen before. All right, uh, let's take a break. Uh, also, when you, we come back, I want to point out where you're going to be speaking. We'll do that and then uh, finish up uh, Cool Space News with Rod Pyle. KFI, yeah. Good. By the way, you don't interrupt me when I say that, okay? Uh, of you, course. You can say very good after I finish. Very good. All right, excellent. Well done. All right. KFI handle here. It is a uh, Thursday. Uh, Rod Pyle, Cool Space News. Uh, Rod, well, first of all, let me announce where you're going to be. Uh, May 24 to 27, uh, you'll be speaking at the International Space Development Conference at the LAX Gateway Sheraton. 
Jeff Bezos, who we've just been talking about, will be appearing. That's uh, don't, That doesn't happen too often. No. Uh, Freeman Dyson will be uh, showing and selling off uh, his vacuum cleaners. Frank. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you got me there. Yeah, it's uh, like going to the county yes. fair, you know. He's, yes. one, he's yes. one of those booths. Uh, Frank Drake of Drake Equation. I have no idea what Drake Equation does. But uh, a lot of uh, space uh, big shots. When are you speaking exactly? Uh, Friday morning and Saturday and Sunday afternoons, I think. That's cool. I'll be looking for you in the audience. Yeah, well, you know what? It's Saturday what? I'll I'll contact you because Saturday afternoon I can surely make it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love to do that. Uh, oh, and also information. I'm not going to read out the website because this is ridiculous. Just go to uh, kfiam640.com. Keyword handle. Keyword handle. And Keyword you'll handle. See, and you'll see the website. Yeah, because it's if I oh, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Okay, now uh, let's talk. Uh, and I love the way you put this. Size matters. You sound like my wife. Especially How was that? Huh? Uh, especially that was very good. Especially in space telescopes. So uh, we're going beyond the Webb telescope at this point, right? They're already planning for the next generation? Yeah, and the next generation is going to have to be different. Because the Webb, so the Hubble was about three feet in diameter, which was great. And it, it did more for NASA PR than anything since Apollo. Here comes the Webb. It's eight feet, but it's almost $10 billion. And that's about as big as you can go on something that unfolds in one piece, into one lock structure, right? So the future appears to be launching these things in modules. Um, So they're looking at, uh, there's this group out of Cornell, which is looking at the idea of launching stacks of three-foot mirror modules, which would deploy in orbit through multiple launches. They would then unfold a solar sail, be propelled out to a point beyond the moon called L2 or Lagrange 2, which is a stable orbital point out there in the dark, and then they would swarm together and assemble themselves autonomously. And it's not clear in the study I read whether this would be a mechanical link-up of some kind or just a magnetic lock-up of some kind. But one way or the other, they swarm into a mirror formation. And then from that configuration, they're able to focus and move this thing around to be able to, for instance, image exoplanets. So we're talking mirrors now 50 to 100 feet in diameter. So this is an exponential increase of what you could do. It's right. incredible. Uh, all right, two things. Uh, I, w- as you describe this, I think in terms of uh, computer power, computing power, where we used to think that there was just these massive, like, cray computers, and then it turns out that you can just use off-the-shelf, just regular processors, but a zillion of them uh, that... Produce, I mean, buildings full of them that has this unbelievable computing power. Are we talking about something along those lines? Well, not quite. And here's the catch. You know, if you're going to take a chip and put it up there and expect it to work very long, it's got to be radiation hardened. So, for instance, for the chips they send up for deep space probes, the, the computer processors, or for the Mars probes, they're still using stuff that's baselined about 2000, like power PC chips from back in in the 2000 days. So there's just some new computers coming online now that'll be radiation hardened and affordable that'll begin expanding that. So I'd say in the next five years, you will start saying what you're talking about, which is uh, things that can assemble as a, as a cluster and do really incredible work. And they're called chiplets and they're tiny and they're configurable and they're really neat and they're radiation proof. Yeah. When, when you talk about uh, a hardened equipment, uh, is that just a lot of aluminum foil around it? 
it's a bunch of different stuff in the design. Some of it is armoring. Some of it is the way it's designed and, and checked out. There's two problems. You know, radiation can actually pit the little aluminum traces on the on the circuitry and cause it to malfunction. But it can also flip a bit from one to zero, so your programming can shift. And this is what we saw on some of the Mars rovers when they have to switch from the A side to the B side on the computer because the thing basically gets reprogrammed by cosmic rays and you start having to shut down one side so you can send up new software from Earth to make sure that it's going to do what you want it to do. So it's tricky stuff, and really what they're using is, is stuff that was developed for the mili by the military uh, against a nuclear attack, and those are the kind right. of chips they're using. All right, uh, we have, uh, we're going to be out of here in a couple of minutes, uh, but let's go back to uh, the uh, Hubble and uh, the web. The web yeah. is going to be up in a couple of years, right? Well, that's what they tell us. Uh, it's a little behind schedule because the there's a mirror, and then there's a secondary mirror, and then be, below that there's a bunch of shielding, and it's flexible, and it has to unfold. It looks right. like big sheets of mylar to protect it from heat. And they're having some problems getting that to unfold properly, and you can't yeah. visit this one once it's up there. So it's a little late, but a couple of years, yeah. Now, is, uh, is the Hubble going to retire at the same time that this goes up? Not quite. It goes on for a little longer. As long as it's got maneuvering fuel, the okay. Hubble's okay. But unfortunately, we can't go back to it. So, yeah, once it's done, it's done. All right. Thanks, Rod. Pilebooks.com, Rod Pile. And I think I'm going to go see him at the uh, the event where he's speaking. Some Bezos is going to be there. Uh, did you know that, Shannon? Bezos? Yeah, him too. Both oh, those guys. Oh, Bezos and Bezos. That's correct. Beautiful. Yes. Okay. What's on the uh, menu today? Well, the legal question that I presented to you moments ago, we have been hard at work in the office going through case law. Our law clerk, Gary Hoffman, has pulled up a number of cases in which the genitals came into play mm -hmm. um, and the state of them. And the reason we're talking about this is because the Golden State Killer is going to be photographed his entire body. And some of the women who he attacked were able to describe his genitals. And so they could be presented as evidence in, in this trial. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the state of said genitals play a role. Um, so how are they going to get that response from him? Well, they're not. Uh, and uh, No, there has been, Gary no. dug up a number of cases where they injected men with with uh, inducing uh, that direction. Uh huh. Um, one case they had uh, a man touch himself in court. No, not in court. I'm just wondering. That would be very impressive on the there witness There was yes. one case. Of course, they're not going. Of course, where gonna... a defendant wanted to show his yeah. genitals to the jury to prove, and the judge said no. Uh, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Also, uh, very few defendants uh, testify. Uh, on their behalf, although this one, uh, I didn't even know about injecting the uh, erection-producing yes. chemicals in there as far as right. trying to obtain evidence. But usually we're talking about uh, general abnormalities. Yeah. For example, a single testicle or... Uh, well, apparently a number of women told police after they were attacked that he had an, uh, a very small... Um, Penis. Penis. Uh, you know what? I, but for lack I don't, of a better I don't, I don't, word. But here's the problem. What What does small penis mean? I mean, in my world, it's very different probably than in your world. I'm not going to get into that, but I, I think it's a it's a little it's a little subjective. That's a good call. Yeah. That's a good call. <laughs> I think we're going to stop it right there. If that's okay. Uh, yeah, Gary and Shannon uh, showing up right about now.
Shannon, have a good show. Thank you, sir. Handle in the morning crew. We're back tomorrow. KFI AM. See Monica's face. I know. KFI. She's not used to this. AM 640.